What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. Each episode on here will feature leaders in the digital space to help entrepreneurs grow their knowledge and understanding of the Amazon and e-commerce world. Let's get started. What's up, everyone? Episode 41 of Crossover Commerce coming at you live on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks for joining us again today. This is day three of us going live uh, through all these platforms, and then they'll be on our podcast here later when you can subscribe to Amazon Music, uh, Spotify, all the sorts of uh, podcast sites that you can consume your content on. But I have a really special guest with me. It was actually supposed to be last week. Danny didn't felt feel very well, which is, you know, kind of going on in the world right now. It's kind of that season, but we love, we we're able to uh, reschedule with them to bring them on today. We have such great content that we're going to dissect today. This is our first time talking to each other. So we're just going to have a back and forth and bring you the basics and education in terms of A plus content and being able to amplify and elevate your listings. Because if you're only average on Amazon, you're not going to succeed. I was telling people, you always have to optimize your listings. You have to make sure that you're optimizing every facet. And we're going to walk through what that A plus content means, what it's going to do for your business and do for your listing on Amazon. So without further ado, we'll let him introduce himself is Danny Carlson of Kenji ROI. Danny, what's up? How are you? Oh, good. Yeah. Thanks for uh, rescheduling with me here. I got a lot more energy now. And I was going to say, are we, are we feeling, are we feeling okay? That's, that's the number one goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there was just like a, a week or two of just super low energy. So uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time uh, just recovering and sauna and ice bath and gym and all the good stuff to get my energy back, but um, ready to rock and roll. No, that's awesome because I, I think a lot of people felt that a wave from 2020 just kind of hit everyone and then we're all trying to catch up and get that motor going again. But for those of you who don't know where you're located, you're actually not US based or anything like that. You're actually in Bali. Is that correct? Yeah, so I've been living in Bali, Indonesia for the past two years, and um, it's a really interesting place here. There's a big expat community of people from all over the world, and there's pretty much all the comforts you would want in a Western country here in where I live in Changu, but you know it's very close to the jungle and all these really cool places as well, and obviously Bali has a great tourism industry, so really right. cool place to be based. I was going to say, so what made you uh, decide to, two years ago, relocate? Were you originally, what, what's kind of that background? Maybe we can take a step back and what led you to either move over there? Where are you originally from? Kind of that personal and professional history, if you will. Yeah, so I'm originally from Vancouver and I lived there for maybe five or six years. And Vancouver is great, but it's very rainy in the wintertime. And it, it can get a little bit depressing, to be honest. Like, it's almost <laughs> like the entire city just kind of, gets the mood of the entire city just kind of drops a little bit for four or five months out of the year because it can rain for up to two weeks at a time and the sun literally won't shine for two entire weeks so it it affects people's moods right uh right. for one people's people's like vitamin d levels are not getting enough and then two if it's raining then people are much less likely to actually leave their house and they're probably going to watch netflix that night instead of go meet up <laughs> with some friends or something like that not that not that any of that's going on right now during COVID, but like even exactly. before that, it was it was just like not as nice to live there. And that combined with Vancouver being a really expensive city, I just always had this dream to to go like travel to the other side of the world and go just live in some tropical place where it's really nice. 
And then the plan was to come back to Vancouver for the summers and kind of flip, you know, find like a second home almost. But um, that plan kind of just went totally out the window. I originally went to Cebu, the Philippines, because I had been there before and it was a great place. I had some friends. Um, but after living there for four months, I just kind of realized it didn't have the the entrepreneurial community that I wanted. It didn't really have the, um, I was really into acro yoga at the time. There wasn't much of that going on there and um, just did, wasn't surrounded by the people that I needed to be surrounded by. So I was looking for other places and Bali was, was fairly close by. And uh, I think it was on like, a, you know, digital nomads.com or nomadlist.com. It was the number one result. Like they said that this was the best <laughs> place in the world to go uh, be a digital nomad, so to speak. Um, so it looked pretty good and I didn't know too much about it. It just bought a plane ticket there. And, uh, you know, I've been here for two years now. Well, that's the beauty about e-commerce, right? You can do this from anywhere in the world and you can kind of manage a team from the comfort of your own computer and do something as beautiful as uh, being in Bali because I follow you on social media, which is pretty cool. There's so much going on. It's beautiful rainforest all the time. You're into other like motocross. Is that is that what I saw on your uh, channels? Yeah, right now I'm really into motocross and sport bikes. So I have a, I have a Ducati and a CBR 600 out here. And uh, mm. my dirt bike, like a YZ250X, a two-stroke for anyone who's into motorcycles, it's like the nang, 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 like the one that sounds like right. a knee whacker. <laughs> um, and it is super fun. It is not really speed limits here, so you can kind of, uh, you know, you can you can ride uh, a little bit more aggressively without getting pulled over. <laughs> so what's the major difference like living in Bali? I know we're kind of talking more personal. But what, what's, what's the major difference between that and like maybe anywhere else in the world? What would be one major thing that you would tout about where you're currently at? One of the major things, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting place. I mean, I'm just speaking from the expat community. There, there's almost two different worlds here, right? So there's the expat community is its own little bubble within Bali as a whole. And like Bali as a whole is its own little bubble within Indonesia. It's very different from the rest of Indonesia. It's like, it's where all the tourism comes. It's where most of the expats live. So if we're talking about the expat community first, it's, the most interesting thing is that it's a very high concentration of people within, I mean, the, the type of communities that I want to be surrounded with lots of entrepreneurs, people who are, you know, uh, people who are brave enough to go move to a foreign country and just, and just go figure it out. Um, people who are into really healthy things. There's some of the best gyms in the world here. Uh, people who live in London and New York and all these places, they say like, Hey, there's no gyms that are this amazing here and have ice bath and sauna and all that kind of stuff. So great health and fitness community, great spirituality community of, uh, you know, sober events and like all these kind of things and, and healthy things. So that aspect, I feel like Bali just attracts that kind of people in the expat community. But then within the the local Balinese community, it's like a mat, like 70 percent of the entire economy comes from tourism. So it's its own bubble within Indonesia, where a lot of the local Balinese make much, much higher salaries than the people in the rest of Indonesia. And, you know, obviously it's still a developing country. There's still um, like fairly the minimum wage here, I think is 175 US dollars a month. But oh there's lots of incredibly wealthy Balinese people that have built businesses that serve this this massive tourism industry um, that compared to the rest of Indonesians, they're incredibly wealthy. And it, it's, it's, it's an interesting place for sure. So when you since you've been there for a couple of years now, what's kind of that impact been with uh, tourism kind of coming to a standstill? Is it still happening? Is it is it completely shut down? What's what's kind of that ha uh, going on right now there? Yeah, Bali's been affected uh, much more than most other places. Um, 
just because, like I said, 70% of their economy is based in tourism. And a lot of the local Balinese that I've talked to that have businesses have literally just been shut down since March. You know, like they, they've been making zero income. Um, but I think one thing that's really a saving grace of a lot of these business owners is that just the way of living in, in Bali for the locals is a lot more conservative than Americans. Like Americans, they get they get 10 grand in their bank. They're spending 9,500 of it that month you know like yeah but um the, the local balinese just don't seem to have the same attitude towards like i need to just like buy all this stuff and they, they just don't feel the need to like show their status through spending money like americans seem to do um and they also tend to live more within families like larger families of you know multi-generational like three three generations living in the same household and um, keeping their keeping their costs very low. And like an example of that that's very common is the family household with three or sometimes even four generations living in it has like a family business attached to the actual household. The family members are operating this business. Um, you know, the the costs of operating that business are much lower than a typical American. So like if they're if they're not getting if they're if their customers cut down to 20%, like a lot of a lot of these businesses have, they can still right. operate profitably because they don't have to have a, a massive payroll of American employees and, and all these things like they're paying like grandma and like, you know, the, the nephew it's and the family son. based. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's more like family business. If you know, you're not going to lay off your grandma, like you said, it, grandma's still going to be living <laughs> under your roof. So grandma's just not going to be doing a lot that day. So that makes complete sense. I've never personally been to Bali. So just you talking about it makes me obviously want to go support them when obviously it's, it's safer to travel. It, so you said you never stepped foot in the country ever without living there full time. It was just kind of a spur of the moment, not spur of the moment, but semi planned out and then moved there in terms of that capacity. Right. It was just you figuring your way through the culture, the lifestyle, um, you know, you yourself went over there. Is that that's basically the story? Pretty much. I just watched like some YouTube videos and you know, I think <laughs> I think I booked an Airbnb for two or three days um, and bought a plane ticket. And that's about there you it. Go. And I just like that's it, everyone. I had faith that I'd, uh, I'd figure it out, you know, show up with no plan of staying for long term, but just to see how I liked it. And it turns out it's it a really great place. So in typical times, would you be a person who's constantly traveling or you pretty much want to stay local and then you do all your events kind of like at, on online? Because we'll, we'll get into obviously like Kenji ROI and your businesses, uh, your what your services do. But do you find yourself like this is pretty typical of you? You're not traveling as much or do you? Or is this something like you really need to get out and it's been 10 months of you kind of staying put, but once it's opened up, you're going to be traveling all over again. Yeah. I mean, I'm in a stage of my life right now where I feel like I don't want to travel so much. And I've been in that stage for, I don't know, the past, the past two, three years. Um, because before that I was in a very much traveling stage. So I was a, um, semi-professional downhill skateboarder, um, before that and that just requires you to be traveling around all over the place and that was the dream you know that was great but i it kind of kind of got tired of traveling a lot to be honest there's like just the small things like you never really have any kind of routine you're you don't have access to healthy food and like gym and, and stuff like that in a lot of places you go um it can just kind of wear down on the body and like that was great when i was a little bit younger but i, I kind of felt like i got that out of my system for a while so the past couple of years pretty much stayed put in, in Bali, um, just stayed focused on, you know, the, the things that I want to do. I think probably 
in the next couple of years, like once things clear up after COVID, I think I'd like to do some more traveling and get back sure. into that in a kind of much different style, right? Like back when I was into the longboarding, it was about, okay, let's go to the craziest country I can, like in the Philippines and like live out of a hammock and, and go like rip all these crazy roads and risk my life. But like, I think um, the next thing that I want to do probably is just go to go to like Europe or South America with my girlfriend and like, you know, a much a much different travel experience. A four two traveling experience instead of like you yourself can take care of yourself, right? <laughs> That's why yeah. I told my wife I, when I was traveling around Europe, I was like, I just had my backpack and I was going in and out of like countries constantly for a semester when I was studying abroad. But when you have another person, obviously you're traveling with, you have to like, you know, kind of think about what they're going to do if one person's tired or if someone's wants to go one place versus the other, obviously that, that changes plans completely. So awesome. Thanks for the insight. So Kenji ROA started before all this moving to uh, Bali, correct? Was it started in Vancouver? Um, what, what kind of stemmed from that? You were Amazon seller first, correct? And then it stemmed from your service stemmed from that, from selling online, right? Exactly. Yeah. It pretty much stemmed from actually like while I was still selling on Amazon, really focused on that. I had some friends who were, um, you know, they also were in need of the same things. And I was a pretty good copywriter. I, I had taken some copywriting trainings and built on my own listings and everything like that. So I just, uh, you know, got asked to do it for a few friends and just turned that into a little bit of a small freelancing thing just through referrals, basically. Um, and then it never really, never really turned into like, I never really considered that to be a full-time thing until I had a really big challenge with my own Amazon e-commerce business at the time. And the account got completely suspended. It got banned from Amazon for trademark infringement, which was a, a really dumb mistake. It was like, uh, it wasn't even one of my own products. It was a product of one of my friends. And then I listed it on my account and I had a, an infringement on one of Apple's, like, I think they have like 57 word trademarks and it was in the title and then mark monitor is this um trademark infringement company that apple hires they they just like uh, you know filed a complaint with amazon and then my lawyer couldn't even get a hold of them at all so the, the, the account was pretty much done so at that point i had to just make a decision it's like okay do i just like you know i, I have like tens of thousands of dollars held up in inventory and like and another tens of thousands of dollars held up in amazon payments and all this kind of stuff like, how am I going to pay my bills? So I just decided instead of going back to being a carpenter, which is the job that I had escaped in the beginning. All right. To, <laughs> Throw that curveball in there. Out. You were a former carpenter. All right. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just really decided to double down on this uh, Kenji ROI thing. It just started out with just listing. So writing listing copywriting with keyword optimization. And then, I mean, just, just grew really organically from there. There was never any big moment where I got a business partner or a bunch of investment or anything like that. I just scaled up from literally just myself. And then I took, I took one virtual assistant that I had in the previous business with me to this current one, because they kind of understood the process and just uh, scaled it from there. Then we, you know, scaled out a product photography department, a video department, graphics department, and an Amazon ads department um, slowly over the next uh, four or five years from there. That's awesome. So, yeah. So now are you looking to, kind of diversify in other sectors because like that sounds like a an agency to me and I think you call yourself an agency. So no longer selling on Amazon, you're helping other Amazon sellers grow. Is are you helping on just.com or are you helping on other international marketplaces? Where are your guys' 
focus lying right now? I mean, our focus is definitely on .com. We do have some clients that we produce for the UK marketplace and some of the other EU marketplaces and you know Australia. But at the end of the day, the, the vast majority of the sales are happening on the US marketplace. And that's where the vast majority of our clients are selling, even the international ones. Like, you know, we have actually a decent subset of clients from Vietnam. But, um, you know, they just sell in the American marketplace because that's where the money is. And uh, it's interesting. You wouldn't think there would be that many people in Vietnam who are selling on Amazon, but there's actually a, a big Vietnamese Amazon seller community selling in the United States and using companies like Kenji ROI to make sure their listings are good for the American speaking marketplace because, you know, their Vietnamese first speakers that their English maybe wouldn't be so good if they tried to create their own listings. So right. um, very interesting. So you're really focused on the beginner market, right? Are you, you're a lot of the, the things that you're doing, you're helping sellers get either started on Amazon or really just optimize and help them really grow. Is that the easiest way to kind of segment what you guys are focused on? Uh, we're, we're focused somewhere more in the middle. So we're not, okay. we're not focused on the big enterprise companies. Um, we do, we still do serve the beginners, but probably 70, 70, 75% of our revenue comes from the companies who are already well-established that are just scaling and they really need to plug in some help, right? Um, because uh, most people listening to this podcast will have seen a few examples of how fast these e-commerce companies can scale. And if a company is going from, you know, 5 million to 10 million or from 10 million to 25 million, then they need all the help they can get, right? Like there, there's crazy money coming in every month from, the, from Amazon, like 250 grand or a million dollars a month. They have money to spend, but they cannot, they cannot hire and train and like understand something fast enough, right? So that's where most of our focus is and is in companies like that. That's awesome. So more on our topic of just the basics of what A plus content is, because for those people who don't sell, a lot of it is very like, you know, uh, acronyms and basics. When you talk about A plus content, what does that really mean to a seller if they're, they're just kind of getting going? And even if they're trying to elevate their game to another level, what is the basics that someone needs to know of like, where's Amazon coming up with this criteria? How are you deciphering all this information? Are they going to iterate on top of this? Is it just something that kind of like grew and it's its own thing? What are the basics that so that everyone understands what you know A plus content generally means? Yeah, so A plus content is just referring to it's a special type of description that shows up halfway down in Amazon listing and it's only available to brand registered Amazon sellers. So in order to get your Amazon brand registry, it's directly tied to one of your brands that you have to have a trademark for. So um, recently, Amazon has made it a lot easier to get your brand registry. You used to have to have a registered trademark, which with the, if you're doing it in the US with the USPTO, that can take a year is a typical timeline for that. A very long process. But Amazon has a new program called IP Accelerator, which if you use one of their um, you know, the approved lawyers within IP Accelerator, you only have to have your trademark application put in in order to get your brand registry application put through. So it shortcuts that process by you know, up to 11 months. Um, so the benefits of having one of these descriptions is it is basically just increasing the conversion rate of a listing that already is there. You still need to have your main images. You need to have your listing copywriting and your title and everything sorted out. That's the base. And then A plus is kind of like the cherry on top that you can put to increase the conversion rate even more. So if you scroll down halfway down an Amazon listing, 
and then you see some like images and, and text in a certain kind of layout. That's what the A plus content description is. Um, it's a custom layout, so you can drag around these custom modules however you want, a mix between images and, and pictures and some fancy things you can click on. And then you just have to get some graphics made, some, you know, some good writing and a good layout, and then you just upload it to Amazon. And one important clarification is that enhanced brand content, EBC, this is a very commonly confused thing. Um, that was actually like the version one of A plus content. So, I mean, it, it's the same thing. It's interchangeable now. Enhanced brand content is technically been phased out. But um, what Amazon did essentially is they had A plus content and they had enhanced brand content and A plus content was only available to like their vendors. And they just right. took that tool and replaced the old enhanced brand content tool. So if you guys hear people talking about EBC or enhanced brand content, they're just, they're referring to A plus contents like it's synonymous these days. <laughs> just so we're not confusing everyone, enhanced brand content obviously is a first, is like the first iteration updated versions, A plus content. Interesting. So what was Amazon's need to do that? Was that something on their side that they needed to release to sellers? Or is that something that sellers were asking for in terms of like enhancement of the listing? Um, I mean, Amazon is just always testing out new things, right? So I mean, at any given time, they're always split testing many different modifications to the listing. Mm -hmm. And you'll, you'll see this if you're scrolling around Amazon enough, and depending on where you're located, they'll be showing you a different version of a page. They'll be showing you like, um, you can see even better enhanced brand content descriptions like uh, with custom modules that no one has access to. And there, for example, there's something, um, there's a special description that actually, I think it costs about $250,000 to pay to Amazon. And then you can have access to like an even better version of an A plus content description. But um, that's like an invite only thing. Um, but there's plenty of things they're always testing. So. A plus content was just another one of those things. Like they're they're testing A plus content versus EBC. They have all the data. They have you know data scientists who are crunching all this data on a massive scale, as we all know the Amazon marketplace has. And they obviously decided that A plus content was the better tool, and that's the one they ended up you know instead of having EBC and A plus content that are almost the same thing, they just decided to roll it all onto A plus content. So with that being said, what, what's the difference between having that as part of your brand, like as a brand registered uh, seller in, versus like not? Like, is there a quantifiable difference that you can say in terms of like conversions or just in terms of like listing or like views in terms of your product? Is there that big of a distinction in terms of like why it's super important to have this content as part of your uh, listings? Yeah, absolutely. So conversion rate is the metric you want to look at there. You're not going to get more traffic to your listing directly because it's something that people can't see unless they click on your listing and then they scroll down. Right. But um, uh, I mean, typically we in a lot of cases see up to a 5% conversion rate increase from A plus content. Yeah, I was going to say, I think we had a question come in from Dustin Kane over at uh, Solezo. Great stuff, guys. Do you have, do you see a big improvement in conversion rate with listings? that videos. I think that's, is, would you consider video? Is that also part of an EBC or A plus content or is that something completely separate that you would quantify underneath that title? Yeah. Video is a separate thing. So any seller can upload a video to their Amazon listing that was mm -hmm. rolled out maybe six to six to eight months ago. Um, it used to be only for brand registered sellers. Now everyone can do it. So that would be like your seventh image slot at the very top would right. be replaced with a video. And 
video is one of those things that just because you have a video doesn't mean that it's going to increase the conversion rate. It very much depends on the quality of the video. And that can be said about A plus content as well, but very much in video as well. I think people have this idea that like video is somehow magical without really <laughs> considering that like to create, to create a very high quality video costs a lot of money, mm -hmm. right? So um, what, what's kind of like those best uh, tips and steps for you guys? So if you are creating video, I mean, you're doing photography, you're also doing video, correct? Yeah, we produce video as well. So what's that distinguishing? You're saying high quality. What what do you have to have in order to have, in your eyes, considered high quality video for a listing? Well, I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. So like, um, I mean, for I'll give like some poor examples of a lot of people, they would try to do the video themselves on their iPhone. And, you know, <laughs> the iPhones these days are fine. Like they have good quality as far as like resolution, but lighting is a whole thing that people just underestimate how difficult it is to have professional quality lighting. And then like the, no matter how amazing your iPhone is in 5k or whatever, it's still going to look like crap because your lighting isn't, isn't sorted out. And that's a very complicated subject. You could watch YouTube videos for, for weeks and still like not really fully understand lighting. Right. Right. Um, I'm, I'm still learning that too. Lighting is so difficult to master in any capacity, just on video, but also when you're capturing an essence of a product and each product's different too. Correct. Yeah, each product's totally different. And like in an extreme example, actually, I mean, this is not even extreme. We see this all the time um, with prospective clients is that in, in their videos or their photos, the color of their product is completely different. Like they'll, they'll have like their main image and it'll the color will look one way. And then like in their video, like the lighting is like super blown out or super under lit. And then the, the color tone changes by like <laughs> by quite a lot. And that can be a huge problem that people leave one star reviews for, right? They see it in the video and it's like, oh, I like that color, that looks great. Then they open their box after they get it from Amazon Prime and it's like, what the hell? This this is like, I don't like this color not at all. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't what it was listed as and it's not as pictured. Absolutely, and it, and like, it just doesn't look professional, right? When you, when you have different colors showing up all, like all over your listing, it looks, it's confusing. It doesn't look professional, like no, major company like Samsung or anything like that would ever let that happen. Um, and I mean, it, it, it's easy to avoid if you just understand lighting or you're working with someone who understands lighting and, and can actually get that sorted out. Yeah, I 100% I agree with you because it's funny that we tell like, especially new sellers, they'll just use their own photography, whether it is an iPhone. Formerly working with Buyer Launch, we, we always saw this too. If they want to launch a new product, we'd have to look at their current listings and it was just a mess all the time of, I'm sure you see it all the time of, it's a one picture on their listing. It's It doesn't even show you what it's doing. There's no lifestyle photography. There's all this other stuff that's missing. So it's very difficult to kind of coach them and say, your pictures are crap and you need new pictures. And that, that was always a tough conversation, but people uh, live and die by that. Like you said, are you, since you talked about um, A plus content and pictures helping improve conversions, do you see it on the negative side too? Like if it's not optimizing photography or listings, which one do you see that is yielding either like negative reviews? And I mean by what I mean by that is, do you say do you see a lot of reviews for your listings? Oh, it's it doesn't the listing itself didn't say that this is what it does, or is it the photography that's the downfall of a listing? Would you quantify one or another if you had to put them up against each other? 
Well, so that's an interesting question. So it really depends on what the context of the situation is. But in general, as a general rule, you should have all the most important information a customer needs in the images. And you shouldn't rely on the copywriting for anything. So there, there's like, a, I guess this would be like a sales copywriting um, technique. It's called lamp lighting. So if there's something that's negative about your product, it's it's a good idea to actually shine light on it, right, with a lamp, and then you can like have admission of the negative thing, but then steer it towards a positive context, right? So an example of that is um, like, hey, maybe this towel, this towel is actually like super heavy, but it makes you feel like very, it has a, a nice weighted feel to it, right? That's something. So like some customers might not like that it's heavy and they're looking for a light towel. And so they see that it's heavy, then great, they're not gonna buy your product and they're not gonna leave you a one-star review for having a heavy towel. But the customers who, who do read that, now their expectation's set that it's heavy and now it's framed as a good thing that it's heavy because you, you've shifted that context of the heaviness from something that could potentially be bad to something, oh, hey, actually the weighted feel is actually something nice. Yeah, I've never heard anyone actually list it that way because is that something you do early on when you're rewriting people's listings or is that something that it's on the seller to really, you know, make sure that these are prominent points to highlight with people because people are strange creatures. They will, you know, give you a glowing review, but give you like uh, in their con in their words, but then they'll give you one star. So what is the way to do that? Is that from the beginning? Is that as your listing kind of develops and grows or your sales start to grow and you get reviews um, throughout time? What's kind of that process to really highlight or lamplight, as you said? Yeah, ideally it'll be done from the very beginning. And like, you can you can see all this information these days from your competitors or views or from, you know, Reddit forums and stuff like that. Um, and that thorough research should be done before you actually get your listing done and live on Amazon. There's no reason to wait for a bunch of one-star reviews to come in before you change it. Um, right. That being said, there, you know, quite often there will be things that you're just not going to know until you just get some complaints from customers or some one-star reviews. Then, uh, of course, it it deserves revisiting your listing, maybe adding a new image in there that addresses that or whatever it is. Um, and, and certainly for people listening right now, a lot of you are probably in that situation where you are you're not addressing that potential downside of your product well enough. And you should just go in and create a new image that really addresses that and, and communicates that. Yeah. So what in um, 2020 got you really excited about kind of the services that you were providing for people? Was it just the release of more video content? Was it the release of a certain feature or function? What, what got you kind of excited to really um, take your customers to the next level? And then on top of that, what are you kind of excited about in 2021 that, that might improve your customers' listings or um, the services that you guys provide? Well, I think by far the most exciting thing is the amount of extra customers that have just flooded into the Amazon ecosystem, right? So, right. I mean, that's a, bad, there's... that's a good thing for all of us. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's funny the light of selling on e commerce. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And there were certainly some of our clients who their sales declined, right? Like they were just in certain. Um, there are in certain categories that just the sales completely dropped out, um, you know, travel accessories and things like that just uh, was not so good for a little while. Um, but in general, the amount of people shopping on Amazon just increased exponentially over 2020. And seeing some of the data, like um, we, we get like an internal, um, like Amazon ads partner um, data set every once in a while. And like just seeing some of the projections over the next few years, 
it's very exciting, right? It, it was a an exponential growth year for Amazon in general. And it looks like it's going to continue over the next couple of years as people just are really forced <laughs> to adapt to the e-commerce way of doing things. And it's, it's almost like uh, it's almost like crack, right? Like once people were given an iPhone for the first time, they never went back to their flip phone, right? Is there's a reason why those, um, you know, Nokia is no longer a very large company when it comes to cell phones. Exactly. <laughs> someone came out with something better and no one's going to go back to the thing that's not better. And Amazon is that thing. So I think there's a lot more growth waiting for us in 2021 as we go through here. Um, and, and just and just in general, like it's a very good time to be in e-commerce. So um, as far as as far as the most exciting things, I think it's just really the time to be focused on Amazon, just doubling down on growing on Amazon and taking advantage of this massive growth that's coming because over the next three, four, five years is when like literally it's just going to become the place that everyone buys everything. I think like we are as big as Amazon is right now. I think we're still like here in the growth charts of Amazon of what's going to happen before they really reach the peak. Yeah, that the number that everyone kind of touts is 2020 kind of accelerated, you know, just where it should have been by five years. And I think a lot of people are just trying to catch up whether it's brands off Amazon or they're just trying to figure out the e-commerce game in general because they saw this this quick and massive shift is almost like a, taking a glacier and putting a rocket to it and pushing it across the, you know, where it was going to where it's going to be in five years from now, but it's already there. Um, so a lot of people are kind of like scrambling, I think, in the mid 2020. But now they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we take that and grow? Um, I've told all of my listeners before, you know, 2021, I think is going to be a, a year of diversification. And I think that's simply just because of when Amazon did all these crazy, th I say crazy things, there's a lot of red flags that flew up for a lot of sellers, such as not accepting um, essential goods in their FBA inventory uh, locations. Um, at, at the beginning of March, and that's obviously due to a massive pandemic. Um, but later on, they started capping sellers in terms of their amount of goods that they could put in inventory uh, locations. Um, for someone who's trying to launch new products, it's very difficult to kind of forecast, you know, what that level is. What What's your kind of, um, you know, your suggestion to your client if they're saying, hey, we want to, you know, we want to grow another brand on Amazon. Is there other things we should be looking at? Obviously, Amazon's part of the key, but is there other places we should look as part of that growth? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that question, I think really depends on two things. It depends on your capital and it depends on your resources. So resources in terms of team members or agencies they're working with or things like that. Um, and of course, those two things go hand in hand. And so a lot of companies find themselves in a troubling situation where like, okay, like I want to diversify myself to all these other marketplaces and then their capital starts getting spread thin. So they have inventory, for example, sitting, um, waiting to go to Walmart and let's say Walmart inventory turns at 20% of the speed of Amazon inventory, pretty typical. Um, then you have that money, whatever, how many thousands of dollars is sitting in Walmart is just, just sitting there and it's tied up, right? You can't just like, all of a sudden cashing that money and send it into Amazon without incurring a whole bunch of fees. Uh, and then also resources. So if you're thinking about doing, you know, expanding with just yourself, probably a terrible idea. Um, if you have someone who is like a Walmart specialist and can just figure it out and they're on your team, 
then maybe it makes more sense. But it's a very real question of, am I going to be spreading myself too thin for something that's going to get too small of a return? And like one kind of analogy is in the online advertising space, like Facebook ads, by far the biggest one is something like 80% of all you know ads money spent online is spent on Facebook. And it's much larger than Google, which is Google ads is huge, huge billion, billions of dollars in, in advertising. And they're exponentially smaller than Facebook um, as far as advertising money that comes in. And Facebook right now is having crazy, crazy bans on all these Facebook accounts. Like same, similar story that Amazon sellers know, but like people whose business relies on Facebook ads are just having to deal with all these ridiculous issues and automatic shutdowns and stuff like that. But if they pulled their spend out of Facebook and tried to diversify to all these other platforms, there goes like 80% of their potential traffic. And it's a similar situation with Amazon. Amazon's probably even more weighted, probably like 90 to 95% for most people. So if you're taking all that money out of Amazon, you're not launching new products on Amazon, you're instead you're going and trying to expand to Walmart, then you're taking your foot off the gas of what's going to be 95% of your business, regardless of if you diversify the other 5% to, to Walmart or to somewhere else. So that's something that's really got to be taken into consideration. That, I mean, that's the most intuitive answer I've heard when I asked that question to lots of my guests. Uh, but a lot of, to, to that point, I think that there's, you know, building a brand, I think is also another, uh, another key, like you were kind of alluding to is you have to make sure that you're doing it not all at once. We're not saying obviously, Hey, abandon amazon.com is your number one source of like revenue. We're talking about like, Hey, if something like that does happen again, you can have a supplemental like resource, whether it's having an FBM listing almost cloned, uh, what your FBA listing is. How does that process work by the way? Maybe, you know, and you can describe it for those of, for those people who are not just putting their goods into Amazon, but they're now kind of looking at putting their own goods in their own warehouse where they can fulfill, as fulfilled by merchant. Um, how does that work in terms of like Amazon listing? Um, is it only different, you know, FBA versus FBM like indicator on on that product description or what are the differences when they do that? Yeah, so it's really simple process. So in the back end in Amazon Seller Central, you're just going to go add a new product, like as if you're just adding another product and then you're going to like choose the exact same product listing when you add this product, but then you're going to choose fulfilled by merchant. So there will actually be two listings in your managed inventory tab. There'll be the FBA version and there'll be the FBM version fulfilled by merchant. Um, and the FBA version, you don't have to input the inventory amounts because Amazon automatically will calculate that depending on what you send in. But the FBM one, you have to input that number. So let's say your warehouse has uh, a thousand units. You're going to have to manually input a thousand units there. And then from that point, Amazon can, you know, because Amazon doesn't have the inventory, you have to kind of keep stock of that. If someone buys it, then Amazon will deduct one and they kind of keep track of it from there. But if your warehouse restocks another 500 units, you got to go back in there and update that. Interesting. Right? So if one, so one listing, let's say, for example, if you get banned for some reason, your, your keyword or your files are uploaded and there's something that's wrong with it, can they just ban one listing or will they ban both ASINs that are, essentially the same thing. Um, is it, are they completely separated or is it actually, uh, if one gets banned, the other will as well? Um, so they're part of the same listing. So okay. in your back end, it's going to show up as two separate listings, but they are exactly the same listing. So if you're listing, if it's on the ASIN level, if that listing gets suppressed, then, then you're going to 
like the entire listing, no matter who's selling that listing will be suppressed. Okay. That, I mean, that, thanks for that clarification. Just because some people just don't understand or know, hey, I still want to have both options just in case something where I run out of inventory, I can flip on this other version. Do you do you suggest that they keep both up at the same time or can you keep one on and then flip on the other? If you run out of FBA inventory, you can just flip it onto FBM. Is that is that something that's um, doable or is that advised? Uh, I mean, there's no reason not to keep them both on just because then you don't have to manually flick the other one on when FBA inventory runs out. Uh, I mean, it's like everyone's going to buy the Amazon FBA version. It's like, that's just kind of the way Amazon works. When you go add to cart, the FBA is just going to be the default and there's no reason someone would choose the less optimal version. Um, I want my, I want my product slower than I, than I initially wanted it. <laughs> yeah. just doesn't really make any sense. So, um, if you have them both on at the same time, then when your FBA inventory runs out of stock, then automatically your listing is still going to remain live with the FBM inventory, as long as you have FBM inventory there. Awesome. And I know we're coming up at the top of the hour. I had just had a couple more questions initially uh, for you before we cap off this show. So when you're, um, I've seen you get published in a couple of different like magazines recently. I think the most recent one was what Ford magazine. You had, you know, an article and kind of like a highlight from that, what's it like to be uh, published in a pretty predominant like uh, publication like that, where you're getting recognized for your expertise in a field where you're not selling anymore, but you're helping other people grow? What was that like? I mean, uh, as far as validation and everything, it's great. Uh, it's like everyone, <laughs> it's just like, everyone thinks I'm super cool. <laughs> look at this, mom, I made it. I, I succeeded, <laughs> I've made it in the world. <laughs> I, I would be yeah. doing that to all the naysayers, man. That that's if that were me, that's what I'd be doing. Oh yeah, well actually, it's uh, there's like a framed picture of it over in uh, the kitchen over there on the wall that um, one of my friends got made for me. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It, there was definitely a moment of uh, of pride that came when when that uh, all got published and everything like that. And it's obviously good for the validation you get from other people that is uh, congratulating and everything. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's a piece of paper on there and it's, it's just uh, another, another stepping stone that you just got to keep going, you know? So to that, to that point, when is it, what, what's kind of the journey? Like what's the end game for you as a, are you going to get back into selling? Are you going to kind of diversify your agency base? Is it going to be purchasing brains yourself? What is that gonna, what's kind of that roadmap for you? Do you think? I mean, I think there's probably an exit in line within the next, uh, you know, two to five years. But the way I see it, the Amazon space is still in such a, a lower level of growth. Like, you know, well, Bitcoin is super popular right now. And all the Bitcoin experts are saying it's going to hit 100,000. It's going to be, you know, 200,000, whatever they're saying. Right. Well, I, I'm the same guy, but for Amazon. Right. I think Amazon is here at whatever, $250 billion or whatever they did last year. And like the next years they are going to be up here. Right. So me with my agency, I just think that we're very well positioned to grow into a very large company over the next two to five years. So, you know, it, maybe there's an exit coming at some point like that, but I'm just going to grow it and ride the wave of Amazon going up over those next two to five years. Because, I mean, it's it's much better to be in a, a growing, rising industry than a lot of the industries that have been shattered and destroyed during this entire COVID pandemic. Right. Absolutely. I, I mean, we're, we're lucky to have jobs and continue to flourish. And we saw 
you know, three triple digit growth uh, numbers in all of our marketplaces that we're operating. I'm sure the same for you. Uh, I guess my final question is in marketplace polls, I'm not sure if you follow that publication. It was, it was a super interesting highlight in terms of new sellers. And I know you guys kind of touched the middle market, but maybe it's a trend to keep an eye on where 75% of the new Amazon sellers are coming from China specifically. And now that's obviously like growth of like 30%, I think over like year over year in terms of just January by itself. So with that number being said, I know a lot of people are like, hey, that's is a wave, it's a trend. And we have a lot of uh, Chinese sellers that we service on our uh, end. What do you think that, is that opportunity gonna continue to grow, do you think? Or do you see other, you had talked about, uh, you know, uh, I think Vietnam, that you saw the seller community uh, coming from. Is there other pockets that we're not seeing in terms of countries that are gonna be, you know, riding this wave of selling on Amazon or e-commerce in general? I mean, I think China is the obvious answer and like that it's going to continue just because of how large the population of China is, right? It's just dwarfs any other country as far as population with 2 billion people and, you know, a generally very hard work ethic for a lot of the high performers in China. So it makes a lot of sense that that's going to continue. But the other trend that we're really seeing is that Amazon sellers are global. You know, like a lot of our clients are are just located in countries that you would never expect that people would be into Amazon because we live in a very global world right now. Just because you live in South Africa doesn't mean that you don't have a chunk of money and have taken uh, in some Amazon training and can't get into Amazon, right? It's it's the internet. It's not it's not like these people wouldn't have heard about it. Or um, and a lot of people also assume that if it's not a you know first world Western country that these people don't have any money. It's like, oh, this person's from India. Like no one has money in India. There's lots of people in India that had lots of money um, and have been following Amazon stuff and understand this stuff. So it's a very global, uh, very global trend that's going on. So like, I don't think that it's restricted to to people in, in certain countries for sure. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. I know we're coming up at the top of the hour. Thank you so much for hopping on and kind of giving us that the basics of A plus content, EBC, and then also kind of like the behind the scenes of what your successful uh, service is doing for Amazon sellers, not just in the United States, but also globally. Uh, if someone had questions, Danny, and they want to know like more about you or more about the business, even potentially working with you, what is the best way to uh, go about that? I think probably just KenjiROI.com, K-E-N-J-I-R-O-Y.com. And uh, any information on there, you can, uh, you know, information on me, if you, you know, want to look at my motorcycle pictures or something like that. Uh, <laughs> Did your or, videos uh, like always make me jealous? Like I, I'm constantly looking at the middle of the night, like catching up on emails and stuff. And all of a sudden I see Danny just like racing by on his motorcycles constantly. So it's, it's good content for sure. <laughs> Awesome. And then, yeah, you have my Instagram there. That's that's more where you see the motorcycle pictures and, and stuff like that. <laughs> it's good stuff, man. But you have a great following and you're also, you are also a podcast host. Are you still, you're still uh, pumping out content there? Yeah. Yeah. We do the Actualized Freedom podcast. We try to get out one per week, but, um, you know, fast growing agency, there's always, uh, always a whole bunch of stuff that needs my attention. So when you have time, man, that's what I say, like time is commodity. We just don't have enough of always. So, <laughs> but yeah, wait, go ahead and go to KenJROI.com. Obviously, uh, that's where all the content lives, all the different features that they've been in their blog content is amazing. Their podcast is awesome. Um, I've been following for a long time. So 
uh, very big fan. Congratulations on all the success and obviously uh, so far um, and into 2021. I know we'll see great things from you guys. But again, KenjiROI.com. Follow Danny on Instagram, all of the social media channels as well. Um, Danny, thank you so much. You're a guest. Uh, you're now a friend of the show. So anytime you're not, you know, sleeping on the other side of the world, I'm awake or vice versa. Um, we can we can obviously hop on each other's you know content. Feel free to contribute anytime. We'd love to have you on again. And thank you so much for joining us today. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. And it was great chatting. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. And everyone, thanks so much for watching live on Crossover Commerce. Again, I'm your host, Ryan Kramer. This is episode 41. We're talk we talked about Amazon A plus content and EBC. Tomorrow we're going to be going live again. We're doing a seller spotlight. I'm really excited about this because it'll be the first one we kind of highlight a specific seller growing from literally, you know, just 50, I believe 50 or $500 in her pocket and took and is now operating tens, if not 20, or 10 or 20 businesses right now. We'll get the whole story tomorrow um, about her life journey and how she's growing her brands in multiple different marketplaces, such as uh, baby content, uh, women's pregnancy, uh, supplements, you name it. She's probably uh, selling it on Amazon, but super successful businesswoman. We're going to be talking and highlighting um, tomorrow. So join us live again at LinkedIn, Instagram, or not Instagram. We are on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and on Twitter. All of our episodes will go on audio format, again, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, Amazon Music, and then, of course, Google Podcasts. I'm Ryan Kramer. Thanks for joining us today on Crossover Commerce.